everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of the Request for Explanation podcast. Today we have me, Carol Nichols. Me, Aaron Taran. And me, Ashley Williams. And we're doing a meta episode now that we've done a few RFC-related podcasts. We're going to talk about what an RFC is, which is Aaron's favorite topic. So, Aaron, what is an RFC? <laughs> well, so as most people probably know, it's an acronym that stands for Request for Comments. Uh, and, you know, it has a long history in the tech world, um, but for Rust in particular, it's the way that we handle major decisions that affect the language, tooling, policies, you name it. Uh, so we have a, a sort of template for writing RFCs with a bunch of different sections, you know, starting with uh, what is the motivation, what problem are we trying to solve, um, going into details of, of whatever design, talking about drawbacks and alternatives, uh, saying, you know, how we would teach uh, whatever is being proposed um, when that applies. Uh, and so you, you sort of write one of these uh, and request comments, and then you usually get a lot of them. Uh, and I think we're, we're going to walk through sort of the full steps of the process. Um, but again, the key part is that this is Rust, the Rust community's way of making big decisions. So I think one of the biggest things that people wonder about when they're thinking about maybe making an RFC is it's always like an RFC is for big things. And it's always hard to know, like, what is a big thing? What makes something like an RFC worthy? How, how can you tell if it needs an RFC or maybe it's just something that you could file an issue for? Yeah, so that's, that is indeed a good question. It's something that, you know, the, the answer has sort of evolved over time. Um, and it depends a little bit on the area of Rust that you're talking about. Um, so when it comes to the compiler itself, for example, most of the work that happens there is pretty internal and not visible uh, to end users of Rust. And we're not necessarily making big promises because of that. You know, uh, it's not something that people can start to depend on and you can break their code if you changed it. So surprisingly, even though the compiler is one of the most complicated parts of Rust, it doesn't tend to get a lot of RFCs. Um, RFCs there are mainly for really big architectural changes where you want to get the whole uh, compiler team sort of on the same page. Um, and then going sort of far to the other side, if you look at the standard library, uh, well, basically everything in the standard library is public to the world and it's something that we're making commitments about, people want to depend on. So we tend to be a lot more conservative about that. Um, so the, the line there is basically, it's fine to just send a PR that is just changing implementation details of some standard library item or filling in very conventional APIs. You know, but if you wanted to do something like add a brand new data structure or add a significant new API to something already in the standard library, that would go through an RFC. And uh, there's a page with sort of each of the sub-teams that goes into some detail about uh, the line that we try to draw between just send a PR versus go through the RFC process. That makes sense. If someone was like not certain, uh, what would you recommend that they do? Like open up like an issue or maybe hop in IRC or? Um, so IRC is always a fine option. Uh, you know, generally people on pound Rust internals are 
pretty responsive, um, and that's a, a good way to get this kind of question answered. Another thing a lot of people do is use the internals discourse uh, site. That's internals.rustline.org. Uh, so people use that to post ideas and sort of ask, like, hey, do you think this is a good idea at all? Should it be an RFC? Should I make a PR? Uh, so that's, that's another good option. Um, I would say opening an issue is probably not the best option. We've been trying to shift away from issues for feature requests um, and use it more for just tracking bugs and other, you know, sort of high priority implementation work. Um, so we like to discuss feature requests and other venues. That makes a lot of sense. So Ashley, you had an RFC that was about adding assert any not equal to Rust. Um, can we talk through the process that your RFC went through? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also, if you don't remember, I actually had two RFCs at the time, one which got accepted and one did that didn't. So oh, I can kind I of talk about, about both experiences. We always forget the ones that get rejected, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess as a little bit of background, uh, I'm still what I'd maybe call an advanced beginner in Rust, but I was working on a, a new project, and I was writing some tests, and I realized that I would really like to have an assert not equals. And so I was very lucky because I happened to be sitting at a table with the entire like Rust core team sitting around me when this happened. Um, but I kind of like at the table was like, what do you all think? Like, what if I suggested maybe we should do this. Um, and <laughs> I think if I recall, Aaron actually thought that it was like not a good idea, but then other people thought it was. And so, and so um, uh, I went to the Rust slash RFCs repo uh, and forked and cloned it. And uh, I started filling out this template uh, that Aaron just, just previously mentioned. And so filling out the template was very interesting because based on that spectrum that Aaron was talking about, about like the size of your RFC, like the size of the feature you're interested in, my feature was extremely small. Um, so answering a lot of the questions became like a little difficult just because I didn't, I didn't have a ton of content uh, there. Um, so do we want to like kind of step through the, the sections of the proposal or what are we thinking? I think Aaron mentioned a few of them. Um, and people can go, I, I would hope at this point that people have, have looked at a couple of RFCs, taken a look at the template maybe. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff and it varies per RFC how much gets written for each section. Like it can be a little bit if it's a little thing or it could be quite lengthy and like you can add more sections to the sections if there are more things that apply to your RFC. Guilty as charged. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, the adding sections. It kind of looks like when was the how we teach this section added? That or I skipped it when I did uh, my it's RFC. Pretty recent. <laughs> okay. We cool. we copied that from Ember actually. Uh, they started. They have like a learning team that is sort of like our docs team, but a little bit different. Um, and Yehuda actually tweeted the other day that he recommends filling out that section first, since we should always be thinking about uh, how how people new to the language 
will learn this, how people will learn this when it gets added to the language. Um, and it kind of went along with a change that we made that requires all features to be documented before they get stabilized. Um, and I, I really like this change. I, I am a little disappointed recently with how pe people have filled in this section. I would like to see a little more time spent on this section because I think it's important. And sometimes it ends up being, Steve will update the book. And <laughs> I know uh, Steve does not like that part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it should have like, if we were to update the book, here's kind of an outline of what the book would say or things along, or like here's a good example for teaching why this feature is important. I those think those are actually questions in the template. So like you're I Yeah, I really love this section, partially because uh, I've started uh, hanging out with TC39, which is the, the group that does the spec for ECMAScript, which is the weird kind of predecessor to JavaScript. Um, and I started the uh, Teachers 39 because I feel like talking about how we teach things is super important. Um, it turns out, though, that it can be very hard for people who don't have experience teaching to think about how they'd go about doing it. It's a great thought experiment, though, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I'd say, you know, one thing in, in terms of an RFC feeling small, like this, again, varies a lot by area. So, you know, it's true for a lot of like library related RFCs, which I, I would count this as one, the detailed design tends to be quite short. It's, you know, it might literally be, please add this macro. Um, but what, what we tend to look more for in those cases is the motivation, right? Why does this deserve to be in the standard library? That's a pretty high bar. Um, and, you know, maybe discussions of alternatives. Um, so, you know, in a case like assert not equals, uh, of course, the discussion, you know, quickly went into a bike shed of, well, should we have a whole bunch of other assert underscore things greater than, less than, what should we call them, and so on and so forth. So there are always the other RFC of, was. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's like there's always this this question of of sort of the bigger context. Um, but I would say then for more language related things. Um, it almost tends to be the other way around. Often, the, I mean, the motivation is always important, um, but the detailed design, I, the biggest problem with most language RFCs is that the detailed design is far too short uh, and, and doesn't really consider the full context. Um, but anyway, I think we're going to have a separate discussion at some point about what makes a good RFC, so we can focus on the process today. Yeah, yeah so once you had filled out your the template, Ashley, uh, what happened next? So I filled out the template and made a PR on to the, rest, the wrestling RFC's repo. And from there, I was actually kind of just set uh, because the wrestling community is active and loves to comment. So <laughs> everybody showed up, um, which is great. And a lot of people asked a lot of questions. Um, Many of the questions were like, I think the very first one was just like, did you feel like you needed this? I have never wanted this once before. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so a lot of it was discussing the motivation, uh, which was pretty neat. Uh, and then it also came down to like some of the specific like 
asking about the the words I chose. So something that I learned when I proposed this assert NE is that it is standard, at least in Rust API, and I have to assume Rust is borrowing it from somewhere, that NE stands for not equal. I did not know, and other members of the Rust team also didn't know. They're like, what is this NE shenanigans? And I was like, I know, but I'm trying to be consistent uh, with the current API. Um, so, yeah, there was a whole bunch of discussion, uh, and I'm not entirely sure how long RFCs are supposed to be open, uh, and I think Aaron and Carol can, can share more about that. But mine was open for about a month, uh, and pretty much we just kind of had to decide, like, does the benefit that this RFC offer outweigh the cost of adding something new to the standard library? And I was going to mention about the RFC template. I love that there's a drawback section. Just as someone who's been in open source for so long, like even if the only drawback that you have you have to say is this makes the standard library API surface larger and we'll have to maintain it forever, uh, it's good practice for basically anyone who is an open source or uses open source to remember that there's this contract between you and your users and that it's a, a not non-zero cost to maintain anything. Um, so yeah, it kind of went through uh, lots of conversations about this. There was definitely the bike shed about do we want just one or do we want a thousand more? Um, but then it kind of consolidated at the end and Somebody swooped in. Who was it? Alex. Alex swooped in and said, this is great. So let's merge it and do the implementation from there. <laughs> cool. So to maybe fill in like a little bit more uh, process from the, the Rust team perspective. Um, so there are a few sort of formalities behind the scenes going on. Um, you know, one thing we, we've talked about this notion of subteams before, right? So uh, Rust, is, Rust decisions are made by a whole bunch of different teams that focus on different areas. So we have like a library subteam and language design subteam and so on. Uh, and so each RFC gets tagged with usually just one, but sometimes more than one team um, who sort of oversee the decision. And uh, some, the teams are really busy. Um, and RFCs are, you know, fairly expensive review processes. So it can take a while before you actually hear from somebody on the team proper. Um, but the larger Rust community will sort of help start vetting the design before that happens. Um, and then at some point, uh, you should be the RFC will be assigned to either somebody on the sub team uh, or uh, somebody who's a, a sub team shepherd. Um, which is a, a role where they're not involved in making the final decision, but they're there to sort of support the sub-team, help communicate things back to sub-team meetings and so on, and just kind of keep the, the wheels greased on the RFC process. Um, and then, yeah, the idea is discussion first focuses on exploring the design space and the trade-offs. Um, which, you know, there's some creative aspects there. There might be some brainstorming. There's also just discovering and agreeing on the facts on, on the ground. Like we should, we should be able to agree that, you know, this is, this is a good thing and a bad thing about that, this alternative, and this is a good thing and a bad thing about that alternative. We might not agree about how to weight those things against each other. Um, but once, 
once the discussion around those kinds of trade-offs in that space has settled down, uh, at that point, the RFC is ready to head towards some kind of decision. And so the, the role of the sub-team, as far as the decision-making goes, is really supposed to be just using their values, basically their shared values, to decide which side of a trade-off is more important. Um, that's something you can't expect everybody to agree on because we all are here for different reasons. We all have different values. Um, and it's important that you have a sort of fairly unified and coherent vision, right? Uh, so like each of the sub teams is, is made up of reasonably like-minded people who share a core set of values and they're using that to, to sort of make these, these decisions. Um, is there a place is there a place to find those values for the sub -team? Are they like documented anywhere? <laughs> We're I'm working sorry. on it. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's a that's a really fantastic question, and I mean that that could be a whole episode in and of itself. Um, but uh, I would say the Rust, the official Rust blog, is one of the main places we use to try to articulate our values and and vision for Rust. Um, but we also use just the comment threads um, on these RFCs. So it's hard. I mean, the kinds of values I'm talking about and making these decisions is really subtle. It's hard to draw black and white lines, right? So, so like, you know, for comparison's sake, if you think about a language like Python, there's a very famous, you know, Zen of Python. I think it's like 10 principles underlying Python's design. And it, it has a principle like explicit is better than implicit. And interestingly, a lot of people think that this is also a design principle of Rust. Um, no one on the Lang team does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, we, we think it's more nuanced than that. And, you know, like when we uh, started the ergonomics initiative this year, I wrote a blog post that tried to really dive into that question and show why it's not that one is always better than the other. It's actually a complicated question with a bunch of trade-offs. Um, so it's, it's all a gray zone. So, you know, it's, I don't feel like it's something that we can, I, I don't feel like we have a Zen of rust basically to the same concise degree. I feel like it's a little bit too much of a gloss, um, but we do try to spell it out as much as possible on the, on the blog and the RFC threads. Um, so yeah, but getting back to the process, uh, so at some point, you know, uh, one of the sub-team members, when, when discussion, you know, had sort of revealed the trade-offs and whatnot, things are sort of stabilizing, um, one of the sub-team members will propose to go into final comment period. Um, and we, we actually have this great little bot, RFC bot, that manages this process. Um, uh, by uh, um, Adam Perry. Um, and so basically you say to the bot, I would like to merge this, R propose to merge this RFC or propose to close or postpone this RFC. And we can talk about what those mean in a minute. Um, but this is just sort of a motion to go in that direction. Uh, so it's at that point usually that the other sub-team members actually come on the thread and start looking really closely, reviewing closely. Um, because again, we're all super busy. It's not really feasible for everybody to be looking at all of the threads all of the time. So this is this is just a signal like, okay, we're ready to start heading toward a decision. Please, everybody review it. And so there's a set of checkboxes 
that gets posted um, with all of the subteam members' names, and checking the box basically says, I consent. And that's really important. Rust's decision-making operates on a principle of consensus, and it means that not everybody on the subteam has to agree that this is flawless, the best idea ever, the thing that they would most like to do. Um, they just have to be willing to go along with it, basically. Um, uh, and so it, it creates a feeling of, you know, um, unity, I guess, in, in the team. Like everybody, everybody has at least agreed that this is okay while still leaving room for you personally to, to sort of have your own dissent. And so it's only if you see like a major issue that you really want to block an RFC on that you would not sign off on your checkbox. Um, and then finally, once everybody has, has signed off on the, the motion to merge, uh, there's a 10-day period, which is to make sure that there's a, a full business week in all cases, um, uh, called the final comment period. And that's a chance for the entire community to get a heads up that, hey, this RFC is about to be decided on. If you have last minute thoughts or reservations, this is the time to, to bring them up. Um, and again, there are a lot of, everybody's busy, <laughs> including the rest of the community. So this is a good way, you know, for people who just want to follow things sort of <laughs> when the risk is highest, uh, they, can, they can come in when things go into FCP, as we call it. Okay, so so we talked about actually one of your PRs got merged and one of them got closed, and there's also postpone. So what do these things mean, and what happens in each of these states? Let's do merge first. Sure. So uh, so when we merge an RFC, I mean RFCs are are PRs against the RFC repo. So you're you're adding uh, to the official body of text um, of the Rust RFCs. So your RFC becomes part of that repo, and then we generally open uh, what we call a tracking issue on the main Rust repo, which tracks the implementation and ultimately stabilization of the feature in question. Uh, so, you know, if we take um, Ashley's assert not equals, for example, uh, you know, we would have a, a tracking issue that says basically, okay, the steps are we need to implement it, we need to document it, and then we need to stabilize it. Um, and once that tracking issue has been created, anybody's free to make a PR that does the implementation, and uh, that will probably be reviewed by somebody on the relevant subteam, um, but that's generally a much quicker process. Uh, you know, all you're checking is that the implementation actually looks good. Um, and then we've mentioned this term stabilization. Uh, we probably shouldn't take too big of a tangent on it, but you know, Rust has a sort of uh, a release channel model where you can be using nightly Rust, which has unstable features that aren't yet fully committed to, or you can be using stable Rust. And we promise uh, that upgrading stable Rust is always a hassle-free experience. So while we can't promise we will never break your code in any way, we work really, really hard to um, avoid breakage and, and to keep it minimal. So, so we have this final step in a feature's life where we actually, as a community, decide, okay, it's, we, now that we've used this, we've 
we realized, oh, actually, I did want a certain not equal all over the place. Um, that was a good idea. Then we come together and say, okay, let's stabilize this and ship it to stable Rust. So to go back a little bit, one of the things that I felt when I was making this ROC that caused me actually a lot of anxiety uh, was I had like written up this RFC and I was like, I was excited to be the one to implement it. And so the best that I could figure out was that there was a kind of agreement that the person who filed the RFC gets to implement it. But I was so anxious that the second it got filed, I was like, I'm on it. Um, so like, what's, what's the story coordinating there? Do you often see people who do RFCs wanting to implement it? Or does it end up being like a team of people? Or I know that I was like kind of worried about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, what I've seen is it's mostly the, the opposite thing. Like RFC gets approved and then it sits there unimplemented. Like, I think there's RFCs out there now that have been approved. It's just no one has had time to implement it yet. Um, and I am going to put it in the notes, a link to how you can search to find these issues if you're looking for a project. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I agree with Carol. Uh, and I think that's especially true for language RFCs. Like, one of the really cool things about this process is that you can be involved in designing the language, even though you have no idea how the compiler works and have no intention of implementing your design. Um, and then awesome people like Petro Chenkov will come and pick off your unimplemented RFC. Um, so yeah, I mean, one thing that people do uh, do, I mean, if you are submitting an RFC and you want to implement it, you can, of course, write a comment saying so, uh, or even open a PR that just says, you know, pending RFC. Um, sometimes people do that for, for bigger pieces of work. So it's pretty informal. Um, usually it's a good case if somebody's actually lined up to do an implementation right away. <laughs> That's pretty neat. We should use this as a call. Go implement all the RFCs <laughs> that are out, uh, outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what about your uh, RFC that got closed, Ashley? What happened with that one? So the process was nearly identical, and since these were related RFCs, I think that's partially why they kind of followed the same timeline. Uh, let's, I have it pulled up right here. Let's see. Right, so there was a large discussion, kind of similar to the one on the other one, but at the end, Alex just commented, you know, we decided to talk about this and uh, we don't think that enough people would use this to justify expanding the standard library for it. And then he said, thank you, and just closed the issue. Turns out I didn't delete my branch, though. I should clean that up. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, so, it's yeah. interesting, actually. It sounds like um, this pair of RFCs predates uh, RFC bot in some of our more recent process, which is... Yeah, I was um, going to say, I, I'm like an oldie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the nice things about the RFC bot is it, it actually posts text along the way to, to help guide you through the process so you sort of know what's going to be happening next um, instead of this random comment coming from on high, you know, telling what happened. That's 
super useful. Looking back on my assert NE, there was like a moment, like I think around halfway through the process where I was like, hey, so this is my first time. Like, should I be doing something right now? <laughs> like, what's up? Um, so the Rust team and their bots have always been just so incredibly useful and welcoming to newcomers. I'm so happy to hear that you've implemented one. That being said, all of the non-bot people on these RFDs have been, were also super helpful and friendly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and there's one more state that PRs, that RFCs can end up in, and that is postpone. What does that mean, Aaron? So, yeah, this state doesn't get used as much, um, but basically we need a way to say not yet. Um, we need a way to say this looks interesting, but it would require too much bandwidth from the relevant teams, or there's too much churn going on in the compiler to do this now, or whatever the case might be. Um, and I would say that uh, the advent of the Rust roadmap um, starting in 2017 uh, has added a lot of clarity here where, you know, I mean, people have great ideas all the time. We, we can't do them all at once, right? And so the roadmap sort of gives us clarity. What are we trying to tackle this year? And if something big that would take a long time to review falls outside of that, then we would move to postpone it. Um, and it, it's pretty informal. I mean, there's no tracking um, of postponed issues or anything like that. Um, so it can be, you know, a little bit unclear, like, well, at what point would it be reconsidered? Um, but that kind of goes back to the same process we talked about in the beginning of, you know, if you're thinking about an RFC, how, how do you figure out if it should be an RFC and all that? You can use all the same venues to, to ask if now is the time. Do you have any sense of how many RFCs are currently in the postponed state? Uh, I would guess a dozen or two in, in have been sort of officially postponed. Um, there have probably been some that were closed outright that, you know, we might reconsider at some point. Hmm. Your, your talk about how do you figure out when to use them blocked my joke, which I was going to say, which is how did the postponed RFCs get garbage collected? But oh, man. Alas, come on. <laughs> Rust doesn't have garbage collection. See, it was a softball. It was perfect. <laughs> oh, well, you got to make it anyway. <laughs> Okay, so this isn't how every language gets designed. Uh, you mentioned Python before, has Guido, um, Rails has DHH, Ruby has Maths, Linux has Linus. So those are kind of the, the BDFL model, the, the benevolent dictator for life model, where like one person is the ultimate decider. Um, Aaron, what do you think the, the benefits or downsides to using the RFC process to make big decisions are compared to other models like the BDFL? Yeah, so this is the question I've been looking forward to all episode long. Uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think this is like a, this is a fascinating issue. And, you know, one of the things I really love about working on Rust is that, you know, we're, we're not just pushing the envelope in terms of language design, but also in terms of how we try to run the community. Um, so let me start with the downside, which is probably obvious, which is that the RFC process is slow. Um, there, you know, 
if you don't have a single benevolent dictator, <laughs> you now have a group of people that you have to uh, pass things through. And that, you know, of course, in practice, um, people, people like Guido and whatnot you can't actually stay on top of all of the things in Python all the time. So you, you're going to end up with this one way or another. Um, but I think the thing that slows it down more so in practice is that we really do want to hear from anybody who has something to say about an RFC. Um, and, you know, we try to, we try to take it very seriously um, and get to the bottom of questions that people raise. And that's, just an inherently time-consuming process, um, and you know, it's it's a trade where we are pushing for a higher level of quality and a higher level of community involvement, and we're willing to go slower uh, for that reason. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's the main downside. You might you might imagine you know other downsides like you end up with designed by committee or this kind of thing. Um, but I really don't think that Rust suffers from that. And I think that comes back to uh, the, the, the point I was making before about the sub teams, um, you know, making sure that they, everybody on, a, on the sub team has good rapport. It's not like there are different camps that are warring and making deals or anything like that, that you know, can happen on a committee. Uh, it's like everybody is roughly on the same page and, uh, you know, agrees on the same base set of values um, and, you know, try, tries to sort of lay out and follow a vision. So, okay, flipping to the, the benefit side, um, I think, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about the, the process is that uh, it creates a strong sense of legitimacy around decisions in Rust. So what I mean by that is like, obviously not everyone is gonna agree with every decision, but I think by and large, everybody feels like each decision was carefully considered and that if they had something to say, they had a chance to say it and it was heard. Um, and that just feels great. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think it feels great for the, the Rust leadership and it feels great for the community. Um, you know, I already mentioned, I think quality is, is a big benefit. And I think we're going to look at some examples where the RFC process has really improved the designs. Um, I think another big benefit is like just the fact that everybody, including people on the core team, have to write up their proposals in detail and convince people <laughs> that they're a good idea. Um, that really forces you to think through things more carefully than you would have otherwise. Um, so I love writing RFCs, um, and I find the, the process really uh, forces me to confront things that I wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and, you know, if, if I was the benevolent dictator for Rust or whatever, maybe I would have just done my original proposal and never really vetted it. Um, and yeah, I mean, so the community is great at poking holes and uh, coming up with better ideas and so on. And I think the one other thing I would say that's a little bit subtle, I think Rust, Rust spirit is all about, um, you know, finding a third way, right? Like we have all these slogans like memory safety without garbage collection and, uh, you know, concurrency without data races where we're eliminating these traditional trade-offs. And I think the RFC process 
helps push us in that direction because we're hearing from people who value a diverse set of things and we're trying to get rough consensus. And so that encourages you to come up with solutions that can balance those constraints often in creative new ways. Um, so I think, I think Rust is what it is in large part because of the RFC process. Um, I guess I would say like, you know, one of the things that, um, one of the most important lessons in the RFC process uh, has been what we call the no new rationale rule, um, where basically when we finally do reach the point of a decision, that decision should just be a matter of applying values to trade-offs, like I was mentioning before. It should never be producing new technical arguments that haven't seen, haven't been seen on, on thread. Um, so again, it really, it forces you to, um, to try to reach uh, some consensus around where things are heading before a decision is ever made. Yes, you were mentioning how this feels on the Rust leadership side. Um, as for from a, I'm I'm now on some teams, so I get to see that side too. Um, from a like Rust user side, uh, it's it's both empowering and frustrating. I think. Um, totally. I and I was wondering if that it, it must have felt pretty empowering to you, Ashley, as like when you're an advanced beginner getting to propose something that gets added to the language. Like, that not every language can you just kind of jump in and, and start discussing adding new things with the community and, and get that added. That, and that's pretty cool, I think. Um, yeah, it, it was freaking amazing. I was basically terrified the entire time. And that was all like pure, like, inside myself because everybody was extremely kind about it but it was like wow i don't even think i've written like more than five rust programs and now i can be like i have a macro in the language <laughs> which was yeah super so cool think, yeah the, the one thing awesome. i will oh Go yeah ahead. the one thing i was going to say is the, so, something that i've experienced both on my own RFC and then just looking at other RFCs, like looking at my own RFC, there was a moment where there were just so many comments coming in that I had to be like, I'm not looking at this. I'm not gonna look at this for like a week. Like, just yeah. because it was a really like, and this was not even a terribly controversial or like large RFC. Uh, so the scale I was dealing with was not, not nearly as much as some of the other ones, but you know, I love open source, but I have a day job and I don't know, I like, I like drinking beers and watching TV too. So I had to like <laughs> take some time and just be like, I can't, I can't keep watching this and like kind of batch my like reading of it because it's a lot of content. And I'm the type of person that doesn't like responding to something until I've like read the entire thing. So it's, yeah. it's a lot to consume and respond to for sure. We're definitely having a lot of conversations about the RFC process and if it's scalable as we get more and more comments and as the community grows and, and are we, is it approachable? Is it um, welcoming to lots of different kinds of people at different stages in their, in their Rust journey? Because uh, input from people new to Rust is just as important and sometimes more important 
as far as like whether the how we teach the section is good or not and that sort of thing um, and yet dealing dealing with all the comments can be frustrating and overwhelming and I, as we were talking about in the last episode about the, the um, epochs often the comments are ones that are picking apart the proposal and finding holes in it that are kind of negative about it and people who are positive and like it don't necessarily comment so much so it can feel like oh there's all these people who hate my idea um but yeah, this is like, something yeah. that this is something that node uh so i didn't really introduce myself at the beginning but i work for npm and i am heavily involved in, in node open source community uh and in node like rust is popular but node we have a lot of a lot of users who have a lot yeah, of Yeah, you're you're on a different um <laughs> there. And uh yeah, that's just been something like I mean, Node has clearly benefited from having such a vibrant community, but Node also has a, a consensus seeking RFC process that they call EPS or enhancement proposal. Um and you know, if you go look, I'll we'll share the link in the notes. Um if you go look you'll see that there's there's not really that much activity. Um, a lot of things get added to Node without RFCs, so they're not required internally the way Rust has them. Uh, but yeah, it, it got to be a point where it was a matter of like moderation issues, unfortunately, and not even necessarily bad actors. Bad actors always happen, but uh, it was even just trying to like keep the discussion like on topic. Uh, I think at one point, Carol, you and I were talking about how we, we maybe wished that RFCs sometimes had threads or GitHub issues had threads. Uh, but yeah, just the intense amount of content can, can be really hard to digest and make useful. So. Yeah, I, w I will say uh, <laughs> I now have an opportunity to say something I wish I had said in the, the last episode, which is that one of the most valuable things uh, you know, people can do out there in the community is to do that work of reading an RFC thread and then try to post a summarizing comment that, you know, covers the salient points. Um, that, you know, that's something when the sub-team members review the RFC, they often try to do that. But that's something anybody can do and it's extremely valuable. So if you have high reading comprehension skills, go summarize an <laughs> RFC thread today. <laughs> Seriously, it's so useful. Many people comment without reading, so restating stuff can be super, super useful. Make sure stuff doesn't get lost. Okay, so I think we're this is getting kind of long for for our, <laughs> the episode length we're going for, um, but I think it's interesting. Um, Aaron, w did you want to tell some stories about some memorable RFCs, or should we save those for a future episode? Um, well, yeah, I think I think it would be fun to have a sort of historical episode at some point, um, but I wouldn't mind mentioning just a couple uh, to give you more of a flavor of, of sort of the, the range that they cover. Um, so, you know, I think the RFC process has evolved a lot. Uh, um, it got started well before 1.0. One of the uh, you know, I was looking back actually in prep for this episode through the history of RFCs, sorted by number of comments, of course, uh, to find the most exciting ones. And, you know, I think one of the ways we first really got off the ground um, with the process was when we were 
getting the standard library ready for 1.0. Um, and this was actually, when I first joined the team at Mozilla, this is what I was hired to do, basically, to work on uh, prepping the library. And um, I didn't know <laughs> how to go about it. Uh, you know, like the standard library had just been, had just evolved in an ad hoc way through PRs over time. Um, and so what we ended up settling on was basically going module by module and having a small team of people sort of review the module, come up with some, you know, areas for improvement or whatever. And we also had side by side a sort of conventions document we were developing. And then we take the outcome of that and uh, turn it into an RFC. And so if you go back, if you, if you search the RFC repo for reform, most of these RFCs were X reform, where X might be path reform or IO reform or any, any number of other things. Um, and I think that was a really great way to get people's critical eyes on each facet of the standard library before we shipped it. Um, and, you know, there were definitely improvements that were made, you know, by posting these as RFC and, RFCs and iterating on them. Um, and, and the biggest one was definitely the IO reform uh, section, which actually came as a whole bunch of different RFCs. So I kind of see this all as like a precursor for what we're doing now with the, the lib splits process. Um, but one of the things that happened in the standard library, um, sort of coming up to 1.0, is there was this GitHub issue um, on the name of the integer types for pointer size integers. Um, Inchpocalypse! <laughs> uh, so these types are now known as i size and u size, but at the time they were known as int and uint. Um, and this was an early learning experience for Rust leadership uh, that we got a lot of mileage out of. So, you know, there had been this, like I said, this issue open for a long time. People had, for multiple years, were debating, uh, you know, what to call these types. Um, and meanwhile, you know, Rust leadership, at some point, we were getting more and more serious about uh, trying to put 1.0 out. And so we were triaging all the things that needed to be done. And we knew that this, we would have to deal with this issue at some point. Um, and so finally, we decided to take it on. And the way we did this is went and reread the thread, discussed some privately, and then wrote a blog post stating our decision. Um, and it was a total catastrophe. <laughs> like, uh, the blowback was immediate <laughs> and enormous. Um, and that's because we did a bunch of stuff wrong, right? Uh, we weren't, you know, the, the sort of leadership team who was trying to make this decision wasn't involved in the discussion up to that point really at all. Um, and the decision laid out like a brand new line of argument um, and simultaneously closed the debate and said, okay, this is it, guys. <laughs> We're calling it int and uint. Uh, and, you know, so we, uh, we backed up, and, and this is not the only time this kind of thing has happened, um, it, less so these days than in the early days, but, you know, we said, okay, we, we hear you, we screwed this up, and uh, we w basically restarted the discussion uh, 
this time with the leadership participating throughout and ended up reaching the decision that the community initially wanted and that we had turned down, which is renaming the types. Um, and that went through the RFC process. So, you know, I mean, we talked, we've talked before about bike shedding and whether it's important or not. Um, but I think this points again to the sort of the question of legitimacy of the process. Um, like sometimes you might, you might imagine that it would be faster and easier to just make a decision on something as trivial uh, seeming as the name of an integer. But actually it's, first of all, it's not so trivial. And second of all, it's not so fast <laughs> to just issue a decision. It's really can be a big time saver to try to get people um, to get consensus before making a decision. I love that you mentioned the like vibe that some people have around this word bike shed. I personally, like, I don't know, I guess when I was like starting up, I like, it's like, yeah, bike sheds suck. Uh, but it's actually, I actually find when people are like, oh my gosh, this is a yak shave, this is a bike shed, it, it, it can often be very insulting. And because uh, it basically it means the thing you're talking about doesn't matter. And so when you say that to someone, they can feel really terrible. And so while it is certainly often tedious and takes a lot of time and effort, uh, let, giving people a space to share their opinion is, is really, really great. Um, and I don't know, I, I am super into it. Uh, because oftentimes one of the things is people will think something is a yak shave because they don't see the like key critical thing in it for you. Um, and they would never be able to figure out that it actually was really important if you didn't give them the opportunity to speak on it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, <laughs> of not yeah. just calling everything bike shed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, you know, one of the things that makes it easy to write for technical people to write this kind of thing off is that it, it seems non-technical and a lot of technical people think you should only focus on technical things. Um, but I think one of the really core values in the Rust community is uh, we don't really draw this kind of distinction, like the, the whole experience of using Rust matters from how you learn it to what the names are called to how it feels, how easy things are to remember. Like this is all about making a language for humans to use. And so we need to talk about those human factors, but it's hard. Right. Uh, it's, it's not a black and white thing. It's about like, what does this word evoke in your mind? <laughs> does it evoke the same thing it evokes in my mind? Can we find something that evokes the right thing in everyone's mind? Like that's actually really hard design work. Um, and, you know, in some ways harder than, than the sort of more black and white, purely technical stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Bike shed on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I say this a lot in talks I give, but there's this quote, writing is nature's way of letting you know how sloppy your thinking is. Right. Uh, which is, is huge. And this is why the RFC process, I think, is so important. NPM uses the RFC process internally for all of the things that we do, pretty much. And it's specifically mm -hmm. because when you write stuff down, you suddenly start seeing tons and tons of holes that you didn't before. And then you show other people what you wrote down, and then they find even more. Um, so what you said about quality is like very important and, and it works extremely well. <laughs> yep. So I know we're, we're getting pretty short on time here. Um, <laughs> so I just, I just wanted to mention like a, few, a couple examples um, and I won't go into any detail, but just I was thinking through earlier today examples where 
the RFC process resulted in a design that was substantially different from where it started. Um, and often the designs were the ones that came from the quote unquote professionals. Uh, you know, the, the um, I don't know, people like me who you know, have this big academic background and a PhD in this or that. Um, and it turns out like we often get it wrong, <laughs> uh, you know, or miss opportunities to do better. So, you know, one of the earlier episodes on this podcast talked about the match ergonomics RFC, and, and that was an example where um, the language team came up with what seemed like a very clever design, uh, but the broader community came up with an even better one. Uh, and it was instantly obvious, I think, to everybody on the team as soon as uh, Steve and Alan um, proposed their sort of their counter design. They're like, oh yeah, that's the right one. Uh, and you know, we closed the original RFC and, and opened a, a new one um, with that design. But that kind of thing has happened in lots of other places, like the design of the allocator system, the way we do overflow detection in Rust, um, the dynamic drops stuff, uh, a huge RFC that you know there was a lot of backlash against, and then we closed it and did a whole different RFC. Um, and maybe the biggest one is the design of closures, which went through a whole bunch of iterations and community feedback. So, you know, I just I just want to say like it's this is real. Like this this process really produces better results, um, and you can point to any number of things in Rust that would not be the way they were uh, if the language team or whoever else were just empowered to land whatever proposal they started with um, instead of, you know, having this conversation with the whole community. Okay, thank you so much to Aaron and Ashley for being on the show. Uh, and please let us know if you have any more questions about the RFC process. We do have a few more meta episodes planned for the future. Uh, but go file an issue on our repo if you have any questions or suggestions or comments. Thanks for listening. <laughs>